Chapter Four of Psychopathology of Everyday Life. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Mary Schneider. Psychopathology of Everyday Life by Sigmund Freud. Translated by A. A. Brill. Chapter Four Childhood and Concealing Memories. In a second essay, I was able to demonstrate the purposive nature of our memories in an unexpected field. I started with the remarkable fact that the earliest recollections of a person often seem to preserve the unimportant and accidental, whereas, frequently, though not universally, not a trace is found in the adult memory of the weighty and effective impressions of this period. As it is known that the memory exercises a certain selection among the impressions at its disposal, it would seem logical to suppose that this selection follows entirely different principles in childhood than at the time of intellectual maturity. However, close investigation points to the fact that such an assumption is superfluous. The indifferent childhood memories owe existence to a process of displacement. It can be shown by psychoanalysis that in the reproduction they represent the substitute for other really significant impressions whose reproduction is hindered by some resistance. As they do not owe their existence to their contents but to an associative relation of their contents to another repressed thought, they deserve the title of concealing memories by which I have designated them. In the aforementioned essay, I only touched upon, but in no way exhausted, the varieties in the relations and meanings of concealed memories. In the given example fully analyzed, I particularly emphasized a peculiarity in temporal relation between the concealing memory and the contents of the memory concealed by it. The content of the concealing memory in that example belonged to one of the first years of childhood while the thoughts represented by it which remained practically unconscious belonged to a later period of the individual in question i called this form of displacement a retroactive or regressive one perhaps more often one finds the reversed relation that is an indifferent impression of the most remote period becomes a concealing memory in consciousness which simply owes its existence to an association with an earlier experience, against whose direct reproduction there are resistances. We would call these encroaching or interposing concealing memories. What most concerns the memory lies here chronologically beyond the concealing memory. Finally, there may be a third possible case, namely, the concealing memory may be connected with the impression it conceals, not only through its content, but also through contiguity in time. This is the contemporaneous or contiguous concealing memory. How large a portion of the sum total of our memory belongs to the category of concealing memories, and what part it plays in various neurotic hidden processes, these are problems into the value of which I have neither inquired nor shall I enter here. I am concerned only with emphasizing the sameness between the forgetting of proper names with faulty recollection and the formation of concealing memories. At first sight it would seem that the diversities of both phenomena are far more striking than their exact analogies. There we deal with proper names, 
here with complete impressions experienced either in reality or in thought there we deal with a manifest failure of the memory function here with the memory act which appears strange to us again there we are concerned with a momentary disturbance for the name just forgotten could have been reproduced correctly a hundred times before and will be so again from tomorrow on here we deal with lasting possession without a failure for the indifferent childhood memories seem to be able to accompany us through a great part of life in both these cases the riddle seems to be solved in an entirely different way there it is the forgetting while here it is the remembering which excites our scientific curiosity after deeper reflection one realizes that though there is a diversity in the psychic material and in the duration of time of the two phenomena yet these are by far outweighed by the conformities between the two in both cases we deal with the failure to remember what should be correctly reproduced by memory fails to appear and instead something else comes as a substitute in the case of forgetting a name there is no lack of memory function in the form of name substitution the formation of a concealing memory depends on the forgetting of other important impressions in both cases we are reminded by an intellectual feeling of the intervention of a disturbance which in each case takes a different form in the case of forgetting of names we are aware that the substitutive names are incorrect in concealing memories we are surprised that we have them at all hence if psychological analysis demonstrates that the substitutive formation in each case is brought about in the same manner that is through displacement along a superficial association we are justified in saying that the diversities in material in duration of time and in the centering of both phenomena serve to enhance our expectation that we have discovered something that is important and of general value this generality purports that the stopping and straying of the reproducing function indicates more often than we suppose that there is an intervention of a prejudicial factor a tendency which favors one memory and at the same time works against another the subject of childhood memories appears to me so important and interesting that i would like to devote to it a few additional remarks which go beyond the views expressed so far how far back into childhood do our memories reach i am familiar with some investigations on this question by v and c henry and potwin they assert that such examinations show wide individual variations inasmuch as some trace their first reminiscences to the sixth month of life while others can recall nothing of their lives before the end of the sixth or even the eighth year but what connection is there between these variations in the behavior of childhood reminiscences and what significance may be ascribed to them it seems that it is not enough to procure the material for this question by simple inquiry but it must later be subjected to a study in which the person furnishing the information must participate i believe we accept too indifferently the fact of infantile amnesia that is the failure of memory for the first years of our lives and fail to find in it a strange riddle we forget of what great intellectual accomplishments and of what complicated emotions a child of four years is capable 
we really ought to wonder why the memory of later years has as a rule retained so little of these psychic processes especially as we have every reason for assuming that these same forgotten childhood activities have not glided off without leaving a trace in the development of the person but that they have left a definite influence for all future time yet in spite of this unparalleled effectiveness they were forgotten this would suggest that there are particularly formed conditions of memory in the sense of conscious reproduction which have thus far eluded our knowledge it is possible that the forgetting of childhood gives us the key to understanding of amnesias which according to our newer studies lie at the basis of the formation of all neurotic symptoms of these retained childhood reminiscences some appear to us readily comprehensible while others seem strange or unintelligible. It is not difficult to correct certain errors in regard to both kinds. If the retained reminiscences of a person are subjected to an analytic test, it can be readily ascertained that a guarantee for their correctness does not exist. Some of the memory pictures are surely falsified and incomplete, or displaced in point of time and place the assertions of persons examined that their first memories reach back perhaps to their second year are evidently unreliable motives can soon be discovered which explain the disfigurement and the displacement of these experiences but they also demonstrate that these memory lapses are not the result of a mere unreliable memory powerful forces from a later period have molded the memory capacity of our infantile experiences and it is probably due to these same forces that the understanding of our childhood is generally so very strange to us the recollection of adults as is known proceeds through different psychic material some recall by means of visual pictures their memories are of a visual character other individuals can scarcely reproduce in memory the most paltry sketch of an experience we call such persons auditifs and moteurs in contrast to the visuels terms proposed by charcot these differences vanish in dreams all our dreams are predominantly visual but this development is also found in childhood memories the latter are plastic and visual even in those people whose later memory lacks the visual element the visual memory therefore preserves the type of the infantile recollections only my earliest childhood memories are visual character they represent plastic depicted scenes comparable only to stage settings in these scenes of childhood whether they prove true or false one usually sees his childish person both in contour and dress this circumstance must excite our wonder for adults do not see their own persons in their recollections of later experience it is moreover against our experiences to assume that the child's attention during his experiences is centered on himself rather than exclusively on outside impressions various sources force us to assume the so-called earliest childhood recollections are not true memory traces but later elaborations of the same elaborations which might have been subjected to the influence of many later psychic forces thus the childhood reminiscences of individuals 
altogether advance to the significance of concealing memories and thereby form a noteworthy analogy to the childhood reminiscences as laid down in the legends and myths of nations whoever has examined mentally a number of persons by the method of psychoanalysis must have gathered in this work numerous examples of concealing memories of every description however owing to the previously discussed nature of the relations of the childhood reminiscences to later life it becomes extraordinarily difficult to report such examples for in order to attach the value of the concealing memory to an infantile reminiscence it would be often necessary to present the entire life history of the person concerned only seldom is it possible as in the following good example to take out from its context and report a single childhood memory a twenty-four-year-old man preserved the following picture from the fifth year of his life in the garden of a summer-house he sat on a stool next to his aunt who was engaged in teaching him the alphabet he found difficulty in distinguishing the letter m from n and begged his aunt to tell him how to tell one from the other his aunt called his attention to the fact that the letter m had one whole portion a stroke more than the letter n there was no reason to dispute the reliability of the childhood recollection its meaning however was discovered only later when it showed itself to be the symbolic representation of another boyish inquisitiveness for just as he wanted to know the difference between m and n in that time so he concerned himself later about the difference between boy and girl and he would have been willing that just this aunt should be his teacher he also discovered that the difference was a similar one that the boy again had one portion more than the girl and at the time of this recognition his memory awoke to the corresponding childish inquisitiveness i would like to show by one more example the sense that may be gained by a childhood reminiscence through analytic work although it may seem to contain no sense before in my forty-third year when i began to interest myself in what remained in my memory of my own childhood a scene struck me which for a long time as i afterwards believed had repeatedly come to consciousness and which through reliable identification could be traced to a period before the completion of my third year i saw myself in front of a chest the door of which was held open by my half-brother twenty years my senior i stood there demanding something and screaming my mother pretty and slender then suddenly entered the room as if returning from the street in these words i formulated this scene so vividly seen which however furnished no other clue whether my brother wished to open or lock the chest in the first explanation it was a cupboard why i cried and what bearing the arrival of my mother had all these questions were dim to me i was tempted to explain to myself that it dealt with the memory of a hoax by my older brother which was interrupted by my mother such misunderstandings of childhood scenes retained in memory are not uncommon we recall a situation but it is not centralized we do not know on which of the elements to place the psychic accent analytic effort led me to an entirely unexpected solution of the picture i missed my mother and began to suspect that she was locked in the cupboard or chest 
and therefore demanded that my brother should unlock it. As he obliged me, and I became convinced that she was not in the chest, I began to cry. This is the moment firmly retained in the memory, which was directly followed by the appearance of my mother, who appeased my worry and anxiety. But how did the child get the idea of looking for the absent mother in the chest? Dreams which occurred at the same time pointed dimly to a nurse, concerning whom other reminiscences were retained, as, for example, that she conscientiously urged me to deliver to her the small coins which I received as gifts, a detail which in itself may lay claim to the value of a concealing memory for later things. I then concluded to facilitate for myself this time the task of interpretation, and asked my mother about that nurse. I found out all sorts of things, among others the fact that this shrewd but dishonest person had committed extensive robberies during the confinement of my mother, and that my half-brother was instrumental bringing her to justice. This information gave me the key to the memory from childhood, as through a sort of inspiration. The sudden disappearance of the nurse was not a matter of indifference to me. I had just asked this brother where she was, probably because I had noticed that he had played a part in her disappearance, and he, evasive and witty as he is to this day, answered that she was boxed in. I understood this answer in the childish way, but asked no more, as there was nothing else to be discovered. When my mother left shortly thereafter, I suspected that the naughty brother had treated her in the same way as he did the nurse, and therefore pressed him to open the chest. I also understand now why, in the translation of the visual childhood scene, my mother's slenderness was accentuated. She must have struck me as being newly restored. I am two and a half years older than the sister born that time, and when I was three years of age, I was separated from my half-brother. End of chapter 4